Well, good morning, church, and welcome to you. I want to say say a special word of welcome to our visitors, to our guests, and uh, as well as to Joel and Amy Sanchez. Thank you guys for being with us. Joel is the uh, former preaching minister here. He lives in Southern California now, and he and his wife are back visiting with us. So I know many of you will want to come uh, and say hello to him, and I just threw him under the bus, and now you have to say hello to everybody. So I apologize for that. (laughs) But we really are so glad that you're back with us. Thank you for being here today. Uh, I want to remind you, because it's been a couple of weeks since I've had the chance to be here and to get to preach. Uh, John Mark has been preaching the past couple of Sundays, but uh, a couple Sundays ago, uh, I I shared with you what I called New Year's Convictions. And I want to say thank you to those of you who have come and told me that, that you're still thinking about those, that you're, uh, that you're honestly trying to uh, figure out what it is that God is calling you to this year. Uh, I want to say thank you for sharing those with me. I know several of you have told me specifically uh, what your conviction is, and some of you are still uh, discerning and thinking about what God is calling you to. Uh, if you are thinking about that, or if you uh, maybe have forgotten since the new year has begun, I want to encourage you to continue that uh, thought process, to continue thinking about what God is asking you to do this year. Uh, what areas of your spirituality, what areas of your physical life is God asking you to pay special attention to and pay attention to where God leads you this year? If you haven't had a chance to share that with somebody, maybe a spouse, uh, maybe just the person sitting next to you that you don't even know today, uh, maybe an elder of this church, uh, I would encourage you to share those so that we can help each other, so that we can encourage one another and help one another grow closer into the likeness and image of Jesus. But John Mark, these past two weeks, has been telling us how it is that we should be sad. Uh, and we started this, this year talking about this particular subject because we know that it doesn't take very long for the new year, for the expectations that we have at the start of every calendar year, for those to go awry, for something to go wrong, and for the, the, the big hopes and big plans and dreams that we have for this year, for those to get derailed. And so we wanted to talk about what it is that Scripture says that we should do in these moments. How is it that we should approach these difficult points in our life? Now, there are all kinds of examples I could give you of what a difficult uh, point in your life looks like, but chances are uh, you know more than I do what it is for you. Uh, There's that one thing that you're maybe afraid of. There's that one thing that you know has happened recently. There's something in your past that you don't want to revisit or relive. And so you know better than I do what that situation looks like, what it is to to have life go off the rails and for something negative to take place. These past couple weeks, John Mark has shared with us uh, from the book of Ecclesiastes and from the book of Job, two books in the Old Testament that deal a lot with sadness, that deal a lot with life when it goes wrong, when, when our expectations of what's going to happen are changed and something is different as a result. So somebody help me out. What is it that the the writer of Ecclesiastes constantly refers to? He says that everything is meaningless. Everything is meaningless, which seems like a real downer uh, for a book of the Bible to conclude that everything is meaningless. But I will say the final verses of the book of Ecclesiastes declare that the only thing that matters, the only thing that has true value is worshiping God. Everything else is simply vapor and mist. It's here one moment and gone the next. The only thing that lasts is worshiping God. And then last week, John Mark shared with us a dramatic presentation of God coming to Job in Job chapter 38 and telling Job that he is the one who's holding everything, all of creation together. And so he shared with us that chapter in Job 38, and he told us the story of how Job has his life go off the rails. It's, it's, you can't imagine a worse situation than Job's situation. And yet, by the end of the book, Job relents And he's able to praise God because he knows that even though things in his life didn't go the way he wanted them to, 
that God was still good. So today we're going to tackle another book of the Bible, the book of Psalms. And uh, I told you at the start of this series, uh, when we were gearing up for it, that uh, last week John Mark had to cover 42 chapters in the book of Job, a tall task, a difficult order. But today my task is much more difficult because I have 150 chapters to cover in one 20-minute sermon. Uh, So I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you're going to be disappointed by the end of of this thing. Uh, I'm going to leave so much out. Uh, But I do want to focus today on a a set of psalms, uh, these psalms that we might call sad psalms. Uh, Walter Brueggemann, an Old Testament professor, someone who's written prolifically, specifically on the book of psalms, calls these psalms of disorientation. Uh, Psalms when life becomes disoriented, when things aren't the way that we want them to be. And depending on who uh, is classifying these psalms, depending on who you're reading, uh, the number could be as few as 40% of the entire book of psalms, or as large as 70% of the book of psalms are these sad psalms, psalms of lament, psalms of difficulty and pain. And and let me tell you, 40% is not a small number. That's a huge number, especially when you consider all the other types of psalms that are out there. I mean, there are psalms that are are thanksgiving psalms. There are royal psalms about the king. Uh, There are psalms uh, uh, expressing praise. There are all these different categories of psalms, but the overwhelming majority of psalms are these psalms of lament, of sadness, of when things don't go the way that we want them to, the way they're supposed to. And so today we're going to pay attention to some of these psalms. We're going to listen uh, to a few of these. We're going to read them together. Uh, and so if you've got a Bible, feel free to turn over to the book of Psalms. But before we read in the book of Psalms, I do want to do a little bit of background work because, like I said, it's 150 chapters. It's a tall order for me to try and cover any of this. Uh, so a few things, uh, especially if you're new to reading the, uh, the Bible, if you're new to Scripture, things that might be helpful for you when you turn to open this book. Uh, first of all, uh, the book of Psalms uh, is unlike any other book in the Bible. Uh, It's unlike anything else that we encounter in all of Scripture. Uh, You you might turn to the book of Psalms, you might read the first Psalm, and and then you might read chapter 2 and then chapter 3, and you quickly discover that as you're reading through this, it is very difficult to read these Psalms back to back to back. Uh, There doesn't seem to be a unifying storyline that that helps us uh, understand from Psalm 1 to Psalm 2 to Psalm 25 to Psalm 82. We, We don't seem to get that because each of these Psalms tells their own story. They are their own story of what God is doing in the life of the writer at that particular moment in time. And so we encounter these different types of psalms, psalms that that might express praise or gratitude, but then they might take a left turn, and the next psalm is all about how life is difficult and how we are trying to understand where God is in the midst of all of it. And so as we read through this book, it's, it's generally actually easier to read this book out of order than it is to read it in order. Uh, We can turn to to Psalm 1 and then to Psalm 23 and then maybe to Psalm 105 and read it much easier in that order than we can 1, 2, 3, 4. Uh, And so this book of Psalms is is compiled, it's brought together of all these different stories, of all these different situations over a, a long course of the history of the people of Israel. And each psalm is written for a different occasion, a different story. But these aren't simply just stories that are written, they're also songs they're written in poetry. And so you turn to the book of Psalms and you see that uh, even in our Bibles today, the, the way that the, the text is presented is it's written in poetry, not in story. And so we read these Psalms and we, and we look at these and we begin to understand that this book is unlike any other book in all of Scripture. This is a song book. It's the story of people, of the people of God, the people of Israel, in song. 
In fact, uh, uh, I want you to uh, maybe turn over to Psalm chapter 8 really, really quickly because uh, we see another interesting feature about the book of Psalms in Psalm chapter 8. Uh, we see this in, in a number of Psalms, but some of the Psalms have a note at the beginning of the Psalm that gives some instructions about how these songs are supposed to be sung. So I want to read to you the note that my Bible has at the top of Psalm chapter 8 uh, and then ask you to explain it for me because I'm not very musical and I need some help. So this is what my Bible says at the beginning of Psalm 8. For the music leader, according to the Gittith, a Psalm of David. Okay, I need help. What is a Gittith? Does anybody know what a Gittith is? No hands, no cheating, because my Bible has a footnote. Okay, my Bible informs me that this is a Gittith, perhaps the name of an instrument or a melody. Now, I'm not very good at music, but instruments and melodies seem like very different things to me, right? Instruments and melodies aren't quite the same thing. So we get this note at the beginning of Psalm chapter 8 that tells us what this psalm is supposed to be about. And yet even in the introductory sentence, even in this explanation of how to read this psalm, of how to sing it, you might still have some questions. In fact, this very type of thing prompted one uh, comedian recently uh, to reflect back on his childhood, on growing up in church, and he said that the psalms are perfectly titled, perfectly named, because they're not quite songs. They're psalms. We don't quite understand them. We don't quite get them. They, they seem a little bit odd and peculiar to us. This book truly is unlike any other book in all of Scripture. And yet we turn to these psalms and we read these psalms perhaps when we gather together in moments like this, when we are going to worship our God because these songs are instructive to us. They help us to understand something about who God is. And as we begin today, as we begin to turn over and read some of these psalms, I want to tell you that already I've learned something about these psalms. That in every situation of life, in everything that we do, in in, in whatever comes our way, that we can trust in God, that we can call out to God, that we can cry out to God, that we can call upon God to be who God is supposed to be, even if life is going poorly for us. See, the the authors of scriptures, they don't pretend. They don't pretend like all of life is going to be as it's supposed to be, as we want it to be. They don't paint a picture of sunshine and rainbows. They tell us how life really is. And in the Psalms, we see that we can trust this God that we can call out to this God, no matter the situation, even in pain or hardship or difficulty. So here in a moment, I want us to read some of these psalms together, and I've got a couple of folks who are going to help me read these. So uh, if you're supposed to read, would you come on up here and help me read these here in just a moment? And as our folks come to read, I want to encourage you, as you're reading and listening these psalms to these psalms, I want to encourage you to pay special attention to the situation that these psalmists find themselves in. Because they're going to explain a little bit about their situation. They're going to tell you their story. And then pay attention to how they close their song. To what words they say as they end their song. What are they crying out to God? What do they have uh, a final thought about? So pay attention to their situation and to what they respond at the end of their song by saying. Thus to consider the words of David found in Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? 
How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to the eyes, to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Psalm 56. God, have mercy on me because I am being trampled. All day long the enemy oppresses me. My attackers trample me all day long because I have so many enemies. Exalted one, whenever I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. I trust in God. I won't be afraid. What can mere flesh do to me? All day long they frustrate my pursuits. All their thoughts are evil against me. They get together and set an ambush. They are watching my steps, hoping for my death. Don't rescue them for any reason. In wrath, bring down the people, God. You yourself have kept track of my misery. Put my tears into your bottle. Aren't they on your scroll already? Then my enemies will retreat when I cry out. I know this because God is mine. God, whose word I praise, the Lord, whose word I praise. I trust in God. I won't be afraid. What can anyone do to me? I will fulfill my promises to you, God. I will present thanksgiving offerings to you because you have saved my life from death, saved my feet from stumbling, so that I can walk before God in the light of life. And for further consideration, Psalm 130, a song of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? For with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in his word, I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He he himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Thank you to our readers. Appreciate you guys helping with that. So these three psalms, they all seem to be crying out from the midst of difficult circumstances. I think we can definitely understand that because each of these psalms uses language and expresses the pain and difficulty. But did you catch the way that the psalmists introduce their psalms? Because all three of them tell us a little bit about their circumstances. They tell us a little bit about their story. Uh, In the first psalm, Psalm 13, the psalmist gives us two reasons for why he's suffering. He says the first reason is because God is absent. God has hidden his face from this psalmist. He's no longer present. And because God is no longer present, the second thing is true. This psalmist's enemies are attacking, and they are winning the fight. This psalmist is under pressure, and God is nowhere to be found. In the second psalm, uh, we see the the psalmist in Psalm 56 tell us uh, not because God is absent, but simply because he doesn't have the strength in him. 
that his enemies are defeating him and surrounding him, that he no longer has any hope. He's crying out to God to help him. The third psalm, Psalm 130, it appears that the psalmist is writing this out of the depths of their own despair because they can't help from doing the things that they know are going to harm them and hurt them. They can't get out of their own sin. And so they're writing to God and saying, God, in the midst of my own difficulty, my struggle, will you show up and be present? And then did you catch how all three psalms ended? All three psalms ended with a word saying, God is trustworthy. God is on the throne, and it is God in whom I will rely. Look again at Psalm 13 in verses 5 and 6. The psalmist writes, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Remember, this is the same psalmist that says that God is absent. God is missing. And the psalmist ends their story, their song, by saying, I will trust in God because he is unfailingly good. Even in the midst of my difficult circumstances, even when I can't see what God is doing, I put my trust in God. And so we're asking the question, how is it that we today are supposed to be sad? When we encounter things that that go awry, when we see things that aren't the way that we want them to be, when we see life turned on its head, the writers of the Psalms give us an answer. They say, even in those moments, when all the world seems to be against you, when your entire life is turning against you, in those moments you can still trust in God. Because even though you might not be able to see it, even though you might not know the reason why, as Job didn't, God is still on the throne, and God is still good. I want us to read one more psalm together today, Uh, Psalm 22. And this psalm, I think, is an important one. It should be instructive to us because the psalmist uh, here is writing in the midst of despair again. And yet this is not just a psalm that we see in Psalm 22. It's also a psalm that we see Jesus quote when he is on the cross. Both Matthew and Mark's gospel have Jesus as quoting this particular psalm because Jesus wants us to understand what the message of Psalm 22 is. Psalm 22 begins in the first verse with a message of lament and crying out to God. The psalmist writes, My God, my God, why have you left me all alone? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my anguished groans? The psalmist in Psalm 22 begins to tell their story, and God is far away. And when Jesus quotes this psalm, he's on the cross. He's in the moment that he has been, uh, his entire life has been leading up to this point. When he goes to the cross... And on the cross, he says to God, God, why are you so far away from me? But I don't think Jesus just has this opening verse in mind when he quotes Psalm 22. I think he has the whole thing in mind because Jesus knows this psalm. He knows this story, as do all of the people of Israel. They know what the psalmist goes on to say at the end of Psalm 22. So continue with me in verse 25. The psalmist writes, I offer praise in the great congregation because of you. I will fulfill my promises in the presence of those who honor God. Let all those who are suffering eat and be full. Let all who seek the Lord praise him. I pray your hearts live forever. Every part of the earth will remember and come back to the Lord. Every family among all the nations will worship you because the right to rule belongs to the Lord. He rules all nations. Indeed, all the earth's powerful will worship him. All who are descending to the dust will kneel before him. My being also lives for him. 
Future descendants will serve him. Generations to come will be told about my Lord. They will proclaim God's righteousness to those not yet born, telling them what God has done. Jesus, at this most difficult point in his life, quotes Psalm 22. And the psalmist concludes their psalm by saying, all who are suffering, all those who are being trampled upon, all those who are returning back to the dust of the earth will know that the Lord is on the throne, that God is not only trustworthy and good, but that God, the story of God's people, will one day finally be true for all people. Jesus quotes this psalm, and he doesn't beat people over the head with the Bible. Uh, He doesn't guilt them uh, in the midst of their pain or in the midst of their sin. He quotes this psalm, a psalm about bringing God's people back to God. And I think it's a very intentional move on Jesus' part. He wants to invite people back into God's goodness. He wants to invite people back into the story of creation, the story of God who, who created all of this from nothing and who sustains it and who one day will bring it all back to his glorious kingdom. Jesus, in his most difficult moment, the moment when he prayed and cried out to God, God, if you can take this cup from me, but not my will, yours be done. He quotes this song, my God, why are you so far away from me? And I think the subtext of him quoting this psalm is that on the cross, he's also quoting that 26th verse, all those who are suffering, eat and be full, for your God is king. This is the God who creates all of the world. This is the God who sustains every bit of it. This is the God who Jesus helps us to see clearly who he really is. Isn't that what Jesus is doing on the cross? Jesus is showing us the best picture that we have of who God is. That at the the moment on the cross, when we see Jesus stretched out and suffering on our behalf, that it's in that moment that we finally and fully understand who God is. That this is not just the God who created and sustains everything, but this is the God who is willing to suffer on your behalf, on my behalf. This is the God who came and lived among us, who lived as we did, and yet was perfect. And even then, offered himself and sacrificed himself for us. How then are we to be sad? Well, I think that we are to be sad with the knowledge and with the hope that the final story, that the end of our story, is still yet to be written. That God is bringing all things back to himself. That God is one day going to recreate. And that all the pain and sadness that we experience now will be undone. That God will be victorious. And that God will reign upon the throne even as he does today. Church, our task is to help bring a little bit of heaven to earth, to help bring in that reality. So in the midst of potential sadnesses in your life, in the midst of looking back and, 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 re, and thinking about and reliving those experiences that you have, and anticipating and knowing that in the future there will likely be something that hurts you, have knowledge, take faith, and be filled with the goodness of God. 
Today, we're going to continue our worship here in just a moment, and as we do, if you would like prayers, if you are in the midst of a particularly difficult time or you know someone who is, our elders and their wives are going to gather around the sides of the room. We invite you to come and spend some time praying with them. And as John Mark says, there's always the person seated to your right and your left. You can pray with them as well. I'll be down front. If you want to join this story, the story of a God that we see most clearly in the person of Jesus, I invite you to come while we stand and worship together.